Welcome to BC Wines and Vines. I'm your host, Christopher Mark. This episode is sponsored by Vitality, a supportive hub to help you realize all your vineyard aspirations using quantitative data gathering and analysis, precision viticulture tools, community connection with a love for terroir in its truest form. Whether mapping subsoil irrigation or chlorophyll efficiency, Vitality pushes the edges of science and terroir to help you create better fruit more sustainably and profitably. Vintality also has a weekly newsletter with BC Wine News, useful resources and interesting articles, whether you're a winemaker, on the business side, in the vineyard, or just passionate about wine. You can sign up at the website vintality.ca. This episode's guest is John Clarities. John is the owner of the incredibly successful Marquee Wine Store, the most popular wine shop in BC, and a frequent traveler throughout the wine regions of the world. I always love talking to John, both because of his strong desire to push the wine industry forward and because of his very blunt way of doing it. Another theme you'll notice is one that many wine experts experience in that moment of transition from knowing very little about wine to discovering this huge varied world. John's story is no different and he has the European receipts to back it up. He'll also share how to take BC wine to the next level, why that requires generational knowledge, and why he thinks it needs to happen under an organic or biodynamic banner. In this conversation, I was also joined by my friend Anthony Rosado, a financial planner working with small businesses, and you'll hear from him as well. We recorded this conversation in John's wine shop, and you can find the video at our channel, Vintality. Ultimately, you'll hear from John how he's built a loyal network of customers and winemakers around the world. John is a respected voice in the industry and someone always worth listening to. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I think you will too. Yeah, so why don't we kick it off a little bit. Why don't you tell us, I mean, you have a really interesting history with your family coming here from Cyprus, so definitely be interested in in hearing a bit about that. So, Cole's notes version. so my dad, my mom came here in 1948 uh, from a small island called Skopelos. For those of you probably don't know who it, where it is, uh, but you know the movie Mamma Mia. That's, that's, that's the island. So it took her like five days to get here to Skopelos, Athens, Athens, London, London, Gander Goose Bay, Gander Goose Bay, Winnipeg, Winnipeg, Vancouver. Well, it was, yeah, it was, it was a long journey. I think my, and my dad came in like 1952. Uh, first Montreal, then he worked in Kitimat, worked in Nelson, then Vancouver, and uh, got in the restaurant business. Uh, they were there. They opened their first restaurant in 1958 in the corner of Robson and Thurlow, Joe Fort, where Joe Fortes is. That used to be our parking lot. There used to be a house there when I was a kid with some cool old lady living in the bottom and a wacky lady living at the top or vice versa. Anyway, she used to collect newspapers that were about four feet deep and the house eventually burnt down. Anyway, we had a Restaurant there till the early 80s and um, sold it. And then uh, my father bought uh, a restaurant on Robson and Thurlow. And it was the old Black Angus. It's at Denny's there today. So long, long history um, story in, in the restaurant business. Got started in the wine business in January or February 86. I'm having breakfast with my dad. He's having coffee. I'm reading the sports page. And uh, he sees this article about how Mission Hill Vineyards is allowed 
or is allowed by the liquor board or uh, liquor licensing to open off-site wine shops. Bought a franchise from them, and uh, I think we started the process in February of 86, and it was my first lesson in bureaucracy and how slow government works. <laughs> Missed all of Expo, all of Expo, 86, and we opened in November of 1986. Right? First day of sales were like $119. <laughs> uh, oh, and we only sell it so BC wine. Yeah. So it was Mission Hill, California Cooler, and Okanagan Cider. <laughs> California Cooler was big, was huge back then. I, I I don't even know I don't even know what that is. Yeah, I, it was the first kind of uh, first ref, um, refreshment beverage, huh. and uh, Mission Hill had the uh, license to bottle it, and they did, and you know, it was huge. California Cool was huge, and it's had its day, so it's over with, obviously now. Yeah, all sorts of different refreshment beverages are out in the market, and. Uh, uh, there were, I think, 10 or 11, 12 private wine shops, and we were on a consignment basis. And so we didn't get paid for really 60 days. We have to do inventory at the end of the month, went into the liquor board in Mission Hill, and then we get a check at the end of the next month. So yeah. uh, stores weren't doing very well. Uh, BC wineries were just starting to come, and we asked to sell other BC wines. Uh, they refused. Uh, we had some contract with them. but And, and that's Mission Hill refused. Mission yeah. Hill refused at the time. Anyway, we worked through that. And then we were allowed to carry other BC wines. And then serendipitously, GATT and NAFTA were ratified and we were allowed to carry imported wines. So nothing the government did, would do to allow private wine stores to... Um, Flourish. It had to be an international agreement that forced their hand, much like the Save on Foods and imported wines today. So then, how did you like like where you know because you didn't you're coming from restaurant like like where did your wine knowledge come from early? <laughs> there are no wine courses here. There was I think I bought the New York I still have it the New York Times book on wine. I mean Napa was like ten pages, <laughs> and so where did my knowledge come from? Is just traveling and reading. There no. There was one formal course put on by a guy called Richard Karras. Uh, he's still in business. He's been in business for decades and decades. Great guy. And uh, took that course, but it was it's nothing like the W set today or the uh, the Master Sommelier course. There were, were I think the, I think the Master of Wine was around, but I had not heard of it. And so I just bought books and read and then traveled about. And that's where my knowledge came from. What was your first book that you read? Yeah, New York, New York Times book. And then uh, Kermit Lynch's book, uh, Adventures on the Wine Route, which is, for me, one of the seminal books. Is how I modeled my store after just you know, small producers and uh, making it a, a nice place to shop. His store is one of my, I like going there. It's in uh, Berkeley in California. So whenever I go to Napa, I always stop there buy a few bottles. Yeah, so when you say like, you know, again, obviously you said I'm focusing on small producers, but like what else, like, like what differentiates his store? And then obviously I think a little bit of what you feel differentiates your store. Oh, his store, I mean, he, he started his store in the early 70s. He was the first guy to recognize small growers, small producers, and uh, highlight them, organic, biodynamic, all that stuff, unique, unique wines. And so um, I kind of tried to model my store after that and just started, you know, against, as I said, traveling about and looking for these um, 
these people. And you got to remember, you know, my my French was rudimentary at best, which was my best subject in school, which is really not saying much. <laughs> you know, maybe from average of 1.0 GPA, maybe 1.5. No, I, I, I did. I, I liked French, but it had been, you know, decades since I had... Uh, when did I start? 86, so 11 years. Uh, and, uh, and there were no facts, you know, facts, faxes weren't invented. The internet was like, you know, thing out of Star Trek, right? Yeah. So it was, you know, writing letters type of thing and just traveling and knocking on doors. So one place that you mentioned that you want to visit was the Italian wine merchant in New York. Oh, I've been there. Have you been there? Yeah. 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 Um, it's a, it was okay. I think a better store to go visit in New York is uh, Italy. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of Italy. Oh, it's amazing, amazing store. So it started, it started in, um, in Italy. Hence the name Italy. Hold on. Yeah, and I forget the name of the owners. Yeah. Anyway, it is. I've been to the store in Milan. I've been to the store in New York in the Flatiron. Um, I think I went to another one. I can't. I can't recall. I know they have one in Rome. Anyway, the one in Milan is amazing. It's an old movie theater kind of opera house, so it's got this horseshoe shape and so anything and everything to do with Italian food and wine. And, and, and so the one in New York's got seven different restaurants in there. Their wine selection is unbelievably impressive all sorts of small producers um olive oils pastas you know italy is one of those countries that's blessed with uh regional identity from umbria to sicily to tuscany to emilia Romagna to trentino each has their own individual uh wines foods uh traditions history and italy brings them all together Mm. And it's an amazing place. And if you're in Milan, that's like, that's a pilgrimage to go to. Oh, yeah. You, you got to go there. It's amazing. Pizza. You can have pizza. You can have meat. They, uh, oh, what I, a, a few years ago, so I, I organized, a, I was asked to organize a tour, a river cruise uh, uh, along, uh, in Van, around Venice. But we, we, we went to Milan. We flew in Milan. And I uh, uh, organized uh, uh, a tour of Italy and we did a little tasting and I think they toured us around they make bake their own bread there they bring their own salami I mean it's incredible facility and it's 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 amazing love to go I love going there it's cool so yeah. you start with what $119 your first day yeah so obviously you're doing more than $119 a day now. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> per, per client sometimes. <laughs> I, know, I know how much I spend in my own store. So <laughs> I'd survive by myself in my own store if I just supported it myself. So like, how did that initial, you're starting, obviously you're facing some bureaucratic challenges. You're starting from like any business, it's a challenge. And I'm guessing obviously the, the I mean, the wine market here is probably not very educated. The, you know, the, how's the quality at that time? Of, of B BC wine? Of the wine that you're able to sell mediocre at best yeah uh some of the some of the wines were the fruit came from washington state or oregon california it was bottled up here and it was labeled as as local wines um not 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 that great but they you know it, here's the quality here's here's the qualifying it was uh it's not bad for a bc wine <laughs> so they qualified it. Yeah, not bad. And, and not bad for a BC wine. It's pretty good for BC wine. And you know, today is like 
it's got to be good. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter where it's from. You can't use that qualifier anymore. But that was the um, that was a qualifier of being able to bring in a wine into into my shop. Yeah, it was interesting. Interesting times. And uh, uh, it was Sundays were our saving day because we were the only store open in British Columbia open on Sundays. Why was that? Because no stores were allowed to be open. We were the first, pretty well, the first private wine shop, and the wine stores weren't allowed to be open. And there were other ones up, and they were obviously open on Sundays. So, um, yeah, that was actually that was a big day. We were open from 11, 11 to eleven to four, or twelve to four, like four hours. Yeah, we do like two grand in a day, which was like holy crap, that's big money. Yeah. So then, what was what was the next step from there? Like what? So we knew we were going to get imported wines and we moved to this location, uh, but it was half the store. We filled the store the best we could with the BC wines that we had. We only had like five or six BC wines. So, you know, one wine may have 10 spots in the store, right? And case cut it and filled it up. And then we, we, we got imported wines and just started stocking in the store. But the funny thing was, I never, I'll never forget this, is I... At the time, maybe there were like 10 agents or eight agents, and they always would complain about the liquor board and, you know, we can't get this wine listed and can't get that wine. I'm going to bring, in, bring unique wines in. And so I contacted them and I said, okay, I want to have some unique wines. And it was the same stuff you see in the government stores. It was like, it was as though, do you guys have any imagination? Can't you see? I want to do something differently. You're talking about what you see in California, New York, around around the world when you travel, and yeah, I don't want to sell the one liter screw top for six ninety nine. I I I do. I, I'll sell it, but I want to bring in something kind of unique. So I got a little frustrated with that, and that's when I started to travel mm-hmm. and and do things. You know, bring in my own stuff because. I wasn't getting the support. Now, I mean, it's completely changed, and there's a plethora of small wine importers bringing in uh, really small, you know, small batch wines, unique wines. I mean, there's just literally thousands of wines available in the market today. Then, how did that traveling start? Right? Like, how did so? You know, I, I mean, like, like walk us through literally at that. You know, when did you know? About what year did you start? And then, like, what were those early conversations? Were you just calling up the wineries, or yeah, just calling the wineries, and I would go to wine shows. Vin Italy was uh, the wine store I went to first. That's where I found a lot of the wines, Italian wines, I would bring in. Uh, I would somehow, I guess I would send them faxes. That's going back a long way. What are faxes, John? I don't know. <laughs> Some people, but mostly fa- I guess, yeah, I guess my, you know, my daughter wouldn't know what the hell a heck of fax was. Uh, so for those of you out there, I can't believe I'm saying that. Uh, fax, I think, is, uh, yeah, oh no, mimeograph. That's, that's my day. Uh, I'm pigeon carrier. I legitimately don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> So they used this uh, mimeograph is like the precursor to a photocopier, but you would have to put alcohol in the machine. The, the, the sheets would come out literally wet and they would smell like kind of boozy alcohol and you're near grade eight and you, it had this kind of cool... Get a bunch of friends yeah. out back at the mimeograph. It was fun. And so fax machine is, it's called the facsimile machine. So you type something up, no computers, typed it up and you put it through this little machine and somehow it digitally read and spat out the other end to some supplier in France that had a fax machine and it, it was immediate, right? And they got the uh, they got the fax and they would get a fax back and it was like really cool. Go, oh, this is great. Not having to wait, you know, two weeks for a letter, three weeks for a letter to come. Well, it was, uh, 
you know, people were using telexes too. Sorry. I, I, I've never used one. Sometimes. <laughs> so you, you call up these wineries and you're just saying, hey, I'd like I have to get French translation sent, right? <laughs> right? Um, because my French was, French was terrible. And then they would write back in France, and then I get the consulate or friend, and I get, get in my dictionary and go, "Okay, what is this?" Oh, yeah, and then it would all start coming back, right? Hmm. So, you, so you're, you're speaking with these wineries, and you're setting up meetings to go when you go there and taste the wines, and then, and then I like the wines and go back and put it what's called a special order, and the government uh, liquor board. This uh, one of the great thing, good things about the liquor board is you can order. They still allow me to order wines that I want, uh, and they put in a special order. And it comes through them. And how much of that is what you're doing? Like, how much of that has changed for you now? In terms of traveling, in terms of finding wines? Oh, I still travel a lot, although it's with COVID, obviously. Yeah. 2020 is maybe five years <laughs> Terrible. I'm sorry? Maybe five years from now? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Uh, but this brings one, you know, one thing. So <laughs> here's the thing. So, you know, we're not allowed to receive samples. It was only for official importers. So... How am I supposed to assess a vintage? So I've written the, you know, I've written the liquor licensee and I said, I need to be able to have samples sent to me. And I, you know, there's a reason, there's always a reason to say no, because it's easier to say no in government than to say yes, because yes, it means it opens up a whole door, but uh, they're going to have to figure that out pretty soon. Cause I'm not going to let that, I'm not really going to let that go much like I didn't, you know, I asked um, historically, Customers, so we weren't allowed to deliver wine. Yeah, that was that was a big thing back then. We said, "Well, we should be able to deliver." This is the this is the 20th century. I said, "Well, the customer has to come in the store." So, well, what's the point? I mean, you pick up the phone or send an email or a fax, or you want the wine delivered. It's all about convenience. And uh, well, no, we don't know if it's going to go to an underage person and all that stuff. And so, you know, after about four or five, four years, oh, and another thing, anybody that came in and bought more than four cases of wine, the government considered uh, them a licensee. So they had to sign a document. So you came in, you had to sign a document saying, I'm not a licensee and I'm not reselling it. Like, I'm having a wedding. I'm sorry? Like, I'm having a wedding. Yeah. I'm buying a lot of wine. It, 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 anyway, so yeah. clients, clients really didn't like signing pieces of paper um, saying that they're not a licensee, but we had to do it. It worked out well for us. Yeah. And just bring wines in that no one else has or, so we can get customers to make, make our store a destination place. Yeah. Unique wines, small family producers, organic, biodynamic, things like that. Makes a big difference. The question I have then is what, so what, and you've kind of answered it, but like what makes, because I mean, obviously your, your wine store is, you know, probably the best well-known in BC, right. right? And so why, what's differentiated you, right? I mean, all of, all of Coles with, with wineries and just, you know, mentioned that when we're doing these, our webinars, these one weekly, like, oh, John's going to be on. And there's some people who've said to me, well, I, I got to get on because John was stocking my wine. And, you know, now he's not like, like people want to be, wineries want to be here, right? And obviously people want to shop here. So what, like, what do you think it's that you've done that has really separated you? I don't think, I don't, I, you know, I don't think there's, I think honesty. I mean, we don't bullshit about wines, you know? If, if, if a customer thinks, wow, what's this wine? Is, what, what, what's this wine like? We'll tell them honestly. Uh, and we won't bring, if we, we don't like a wine, we won't bring it in. I'm not going to say, you know, any names or anything like that, but if we don't like something, we're not going to bring it in. Uh, unique selection. 
Uh, I think we get a high level of service, knowledgeable people. We'd like to train our staff. We, you know, send them on trips and travel. Uh, internet and convenience, we deliver. Uh, and uh, uh, all those types of things, you know, making sure the customer's taken care of, whether they spend 10 bucks or 100 bucks, excuse me, $100 a bottle. Good service all the time. Parking, all that type of stuff. I think internet's a big, big part of that too. Yeah. Well, I think you're a big part of that as well. Like, definitely a lot of community involvement over the years. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I like one of our mandates is always to support small local charitable events, community events. You know, there's all the big mucky muck events, or they raise millions of dollars. But there's a lot of organizations out there that are grassroots. Uh, that do a lot of good work and don't necessarily have a, a lot of support or a lot of money. And if, if, I, if it fits within our mantra and what we do, like as a classic example, there's an organization that I work with. It's called Fresh Roots growing chefs and they grow oh, where do they grow i always screw the school up um now van tech i can't i can't recall it anyway they do these long i've gone three years in a row it would have been four years this year uh they do these long table dinner series they have students serve the food and they they grow food or they uh they grow food in the schoolyard and i can't remember the name of the school i apologize I just spoke to them yesterday and then they, uh, we sponsor the wine. Uh, they have kids serve it. They help organize it. And it's about, and they, they, I think they've supplied like 35,000 lunches this year or meals so far because of COVID. I have the number written in my book. And, and, and this is like, like earnest people, hardworking people who really want to do, have this really cool social conscious, conscious uh, and want to um, do some do some good in the community. I mean, there's a lot of kids out there that don't eat healthy. Parents maybe don't know how to cook uh, properly, and this shows uh, teaches the kids how to do that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool organization. So uh, we just support them with wine, and you know, we'll get on social media and um, and uh, support them. Uh, best way we can, and they're, I think they're going to do a little picnic lunch uh, baskets to all the participants this year, and we'll be throwing in a little bottle of wine in there. Pretty cool. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah, I like doing stuff like that. Yeah, it almost kind of fits a little bit like what you're targeting in terms of your wines as well. Yeah, but it's it's also it's also a good charity. You yeah, know, it's no, a good organization. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just in terms of you want exactly. small, hardworking people, local. Exactly, because that's what the community is is, is made up of, yes. and they seem to be getting squashed or ignored and i don't think that's i don't think that's right so anything i can do is support it i, f I physically can't work it out but anything you all support it can't support everybody yeah but uh I, I like this i like this organization it's pretty cool so kind of looking back on kind of that first period where you've just you're kind of just opening up you've now just started traveling you're bringing in kind of new wines from around the world yeah What's uh, kind of looking back just over that rough period, is there, is there kind of anything looking back on you really wish you'd done differently early? Like, is, is there anything kind of you look back as like a key learning you had? <laughs> and I'm asking you to narrow it down from the, yeah. you know. <laughs> Maybe gone to school and learn a little bit more business instead of doing it by the seat of your pants. Uh, <laughs> that does certainly help. Anything would I have done, would it, I would have done differently. Um, Probably, uh, I, I think maybe learn to be a better retailer. Uh, but you, uh, you, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. 
that's all part of the learning process. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. and I guess that's kind of what I'm asking is like what, maybe not so much do differently, but that you've really learned. So maybe walk us through a little bit when you say like be a better retailer, what is that? Like, what does that mean? Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm super, I'm always hard on myself and, and, you know, just a little bit better shopping environment. I'm working on it right now. Uh, just, uh, you know, just a little bit, maybe more information on wines, maybe, you know, more organic, more biodynamic wines. I mean, uh, we have a ton of, ton of stuff in the store. Um, maybe a little bit more diverse selection uh, from Italy because Italy is a huge, huge country and it uh, could be better represented. But uh, overall, I think we do okay. And if anyone has any criticism or comments or ideas, then let me know and you know I'll get going on it. You've mentioned biodynamic a few times. Yeah. What's your enthusiasm behind the transition I just, there? I just, I, I like the wines. I think they have a lot of a lot more authenticity, uh, really speak of the place. Uh, they take care of the land. And uh, uh, I, I just, I really like the wines and what they, what they do. And um, it's, uh, I've tasted, you know, hundreds and hundreds of biodynamic wines. Uh, overall, overall, what they do, I think is great. And um, yeah, I, I just like them. There's just so many of them out there. You, you can't, I mean, I guess I could triple my selection of a store, but then, you know, then you wouldn't be able to walk around and I wouldn't have any money to buy anything else. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be cool to maybe have some underground wine storage, things like that, you know, a lot of value. Build a basement. Is that next? Oh, we have a basement in the store, but it's full of wine. Another <laughs> basement. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like one of those uh, during Prohibition. You'll just have like, just a full underground. Uh... Yeah, that, that's yeah. The thought has occurred to me before. Not such a bad idea, but I better not do it. Got to stay above the law. So uh, you're now traveling. You've got a bigger selection of wine. Um, kind of what's what's next after this? Now that you, you obviously your own wine knowledge is, is growing rapidly. Actually, maybe a quick question I had is what was it like where you're, uh, you know, I don't know where your knowledge is at, but you're kind of going to these first wineries. Yeah. Um, and yeah. obviously, you know, they have pride in what they're doing. And like, how, how was that managing that where maybe you didn't know, you know, obviously you didn't know nearly as much as you knew now. Right. You're always like, well, this business, God. I mean, you never stop learning in this business. There's always someone doing something different that you've never heard of. Uh, and, and keeping track of it is a full-time job and then some, and you, you really need to be living in Europe. That's where the action is. I mean, you've got Spain, France, Italy, Austria, Germany, even the UK, Sicily, Greece, uh, all making wines really, really diverse. So that's, that's where all the action is, at least in my opinion. And, um, if you really want to know, you know, keep on top of it, you know, one be, I guess, independently wealthy and just go to as many tastings and dinners as possible and visit as many people. If you figure that one out, let me know. Yeah. If I try to figure out, I'm still working on it. So that would be, you know, that's how I would stay on top of it. That would be, I've always wanted to do that. Spend like three months and four months in France and just go to all these events all over the place. It'd be fun. Part of what I'm wondering, though, is where, like, you know, like, like a challenge for a lot of us is where you're entering a situation where there's obviously a, a lot of history. You're going to these wineries fairly new to it, right, yeah. when, when you're traveling. Uh, and you're trying to make informed decisions where 
you lack a lot of information, you lack a lot of experience, and you're also dealing with people who obviously are experienced, who have been potentially farming their vineyard for generations. How did you manage that early experience? You, you, know, you compare and contrast. So you just don't go to one winery and then go home. You go to, if you go to Burgundy, you visit 40 or 50. That's what I do. And then you go, you see some guy in Volney, he's doing this, and another guy in Volney, his neighbor's doing that, another guy in Volney, and someone in Pomard, and Button, you go, ah, and you put it all together. And then you do a little bit of reading, you read the, the good Burgundy, the good Burgundy writers, uh, uh, Alan Meadows and, and Steen Larson, and a few other people, and then you go, okay, this is what they say, and this is what I heard when I'm there, and this is what I tasted. Yeah, that works, or that doesn't work, or I don't quite understand that. So it's a puzzle that you put together. It's just not from one source. Any interesting stories of uh, the language barrier traveling over there? Because I know you had to get the translator. More getting lost than anything. <laughs> it wasn't GPS and, you know, you got your Michelin map out. And going, what, what year are we talking early on? Oh, I can't remember. It's got to be the early 90s. And, you know, signage, signage sucks. It's way better now. And then, you know, you're looking for addresses on the side of, and they're like, you know, two by two but you know you you go to a village and then you ask someone you show them their own piece of paper where this is and they go here here and then start knocking on doors and door creaks open <laughs> and, then, and there's your appointment <laughs> gps gps has certainly helped and and i learned along the way can you please supply me with precise exact directions to your domain <laughs> And now, now it's like, you know, you go to Burgundy and I just I have an appointment here. I know where it is. Yeah. Unless it's a new place, I just know how to get there. Bordeaux is really easy, more or less. So then now, how are you, now that obviously you've built a network, network kind of around the world, you've right. got relationships. Um, I mean, I remember when I was here, when you had, uh, I think it was the head of the Austrian Wine Association. That was, yeah. that was so crazy to me coming in here just for a, a tasting. And there's the, you know, you've, you built a relationship with that guy and here he is talking about... Yeah, well, so Willie, Willie used to work for Angelo Gaia. He was his export manager for years. So that's where I first met him. And then uh, my friend Bertolt Solomon was head of that. And then Willie Klinger. So um, uh, I, I just managed, you know, it's, it, this business is all about connections and meeting people. So the more events you go to, the more dinners you go to, the more people you meet. And then they, they know that you're serious. So then I got, well, I met Willie. But prior to that, I, every two years I was invited to Austria to go to VA Venom and taste through Austrian wine. So I, you know, make my notes. I'd get, get all the books. Who do I want to taste? And spend three or four days tasting, you know, three, 400 wines and go, okay, I want this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Right? And, you know, have my plan, have my book and map laid out in, because it's in the tasting hall, like, much like the Vancouver Wine Festival, uh, but in the Habsburg Palace where the Habsburgs used to live. Which is, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty nice. That's an okay taste. Yeah. Gazillion rooms in the middle of, in the middle of Vienna. Much, much better than just a hall with tables. It's still a big room with tables, but it's a nice environment. It's a room with tables in the Habsburg Palace. Pretty nice. And then you taste, you taste through the wines. And then you make your notes and you have a plan and you try to do it systematically so you're not wasting time. It's a lot of work. And... Um, but, you know, that's, that's, how you, that's how you go to wine tasting if you don't go to the wineries themselves. No, I'm just curious because that's how you get those relationships yeah. back then. But what are you finding challenging or opportunistic now in our current environment to 
in COVID, you mean? Or? Yeah, to build these relationships. And well, but, you know, is is staying in communication with them. I sent a big email out to all my suppliers saying, you know, I may not be ordering wine, and I'm going to see how things work out. And they are all pretty. They're all pretty cool about that. Thanks for keeping in touch. Thanks for letting me know. Uh, and I'm just, you know, they understand. You know, travel is restricted, and it's, you know, if you don't see them for a year, it's not a big deal. It's. Uh, uh, and even if you don't see them for two or three years, it's not, not so bad. It's nice. I like traveling, so it's nice to go see them and find out what they're doing and what's new and taste the new vintages and get firsthand knowledge. And, you know, it reminds me of um, talking to one of my burgundy producers many years ago. He was an American guy, moved to Bone, went to school, studied at the, at the school, uh, winemaking school there. But he said, I learned to make wine on the soccer field. And that stuck with me because, you know, first of all, he moved his family there to French soccer. This guy's serious. He's moved his family. He's bought a winery. He's making wine. He started hoeing, you know, weeds at, at some top Burgundy estate. But once they see that you've made the investment, then they start sharing their knowledge and secrets. But it's not in school. It's around the dinner table or on the soccer field. The little tricks of the trade. Mm. That really stuck with me. And so that, that's, uh, that's, you know, it's like little business secrets. You know, if you sit around the table with a very successful business person, you learn something more than you learn in school. Yeah, that's for sure. So that's that's that that was a that was a cool lesson. It's a story I tell a lot. <laughs> and so it's good to it's good to go there every couple of years uh, to find out what they're doing, the new vintages, what's new in the industry, find new suppliers, go see countries, see how see you know the the biggest learning experience again to see how other people do things. You know, if you just live in Vancouver, you know, British Columbia and see how the wine business is run, well, it's not, I mean, it's, it's okay, but what are they doing? What are they doing in the States? What's happening in Washington? What's happening in France, Austria, Spain, put that together and you come back with a whole body of ideas that you can implement. Yeah. And you only need one idea. Yeah. I mean, I know when we were visiting some Oregon wineries, like just very interesting how with kind of climate change, they're seeing a lot of French Burgundy producers are coming over there, yep. a lot of winemakers, but I think that what was interesting, talking to them exactly what you're saying, where they're just talking about all these new ideas and new experiences and new uh, practices that are coming from that. They're getting an infusion of knowledge because it's not so insular. <laughs> <laughs> you got something to say, John? It's not new knowledge, it's old knowledge. Okay. It's, it's, new to the, it's new to us here because yeah. we don't have 200 years of, yeah. or 150 years of, of winemaking. And they take it, you know, not that the Americans don't take it seriously, but the French day, it's, it's, it's their family livelihood. It's not some guy from the investment business. So I'm going to put in a winery. This is the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth generation of livelihood. So yeah, they take it seriously, right? And they come up with, you know, new ways of, you know, want a different answer, ask a different question. And, uh, uh, and it's 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 helped the overall quality of Oregon wines go from you know I first started going there twenty five odd years ago from here to here it's impressive the quality of Oregon wines. Also, there's a lot of Burgundian producers go there because land in Burgundy is absolutely unaffordable. Mm. Case closed. It's just too expensive. So you have to go into an area that's uh, much more affordable. Yeah. So, so then what do we need, like if we look at BC specifically, what, like, like what do we need to do to take BC wine to, like what needs to be happening to take BC wine to the next level? Mm, 
a whole lot of things. Uh, you know, and, and I know it from the tasting level and certain wineries are doing certain things. So I'm just looking at it globally yeah. somewhat. So I'm going to you know, apologize in advance if I'm insulting any, anybody or anyone, uh, but uh, the overall, you know, globe, you know, yeah. global level, uh, the number one thing is we have to get rid of, uh, the, the restricted trade practices between each province. So BC wines can ship comfortably all across Canada without any punitive damages or breaking any federal offense. That's number, that's number one. Number oh, number two is we need to uh, bring in, and it's happening, more uh, French or Austrian winemakers because mm. they have a different perspective, a uh, different way of looking at things. And uh, uh, they have... Uh, you know, they have generational, like we had the Kilman, the Kilman, you run out of the Kilman tasting? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, Jean-Marc, I mean, he worked, his family were vineyards. He was 14 years at his family's estate. Uh, that's stuff that, that we need here that we may not, not, we don't, we don't have. We need that. We need to bring that knowledge in and make it easier for that knowledge to come in. I like to see, the whole area turn organic or biodynamic. You know, some people, a bunch of people are doing it. I like to see, you know, Pedro Pera do a whole thing on the Okanagan. Mm-hmm. That would really be, really be cool. Or Claude Bourguignon or who are the guys out of Bordeaux that work on the left bank? Uh, Boissonnet, the Boissonnets, the, the father, son, the son has now taken over. Uh, and I don't know if a complete whole soil analysis, terroir analysis has been done. I think it has, but maybe it needs to be redone again. Um, I'd love to see junkets going over there, going to Alsace, going to Germany, going to Bordeaux, you know, a bunch of BC wineries. Maybe they have done that. I don't know. Again. Uh, and a guy like Willie Klinger, the head of the BC, uh, whether it's the BC Wine Institute or BC Wine Growers, however you want to do it, re- restructuring it. So it's all about all about quality and getting the name on British Columbia wines across the world. And that's a 25-year challenge. Mm. Yeah. For your first point in terms of um, you know, the restriction of BC wines, mm-hmm. what, are, what could we be doing differently? To get the name of BC Wines across, well, you, you know, uh, BC wineries. I think BC wineries. You know, if you make two or three thousand cases a year, or four thousand cases a year, and you sell all locally, you go, well, why do I need to export to? Why do I need to sell the rest of Canada? Why do you need to sell the United States or the UK? You do because we want to get name for BC, like Burgundy, like the Barossa Valley in Australia. I mean, if they just sold to themselves, we wouldn't know about it. Those regions, those regions are known around the world. Bordeaux, Tuscany, Sicily is making huge inroads. Greece makes absolutely stunning wines. So we need to do that to get that reputation out. I mean, we, we, you know, everybody in the world is that Canada goose. Well, they, they were all yeah. I mean, yeah. I think they're in trouble now, but you know, you, you look at everywhere in, in, in Europe, you know, the United States are wearing these Canada goose jackets. Well, why BC should be uh, uh, promoting BC wines as much as they can internationally. It's bloody hard. It's really hard, especially when you have a country that's uh, focused on on their own wines, uh, like like France. But you know, going to going to the London Wine Trade Fair, uh, promoting promoting BC wines, especially in London, because it's really the, the 
the, the center of the, the, the wine community, going to New York. And some BC wineries do that. I like to see more of them do that. And uh, the ones that I've spoken to, uh, they sell out. You know, and we're not talking huge amounts of money. You know, money, I'm sorry, huge amounts of wine, 50 cases, 100 cases. I know I'm talking to Matt Sherlock. He sells a lot of wine to Sweden and Finland. And they buy pallets. They like his wines. His wines are not, uh, they're very terroir driven, very, very specific wine. They're great wines. Nickel and Lock and Worth, really good stuff. Love it. Hmm. Right? So, you know, it, there's no one single thing other than probably the restrictive laws across Canada. And then there's a, a multitude of little things that need to be done over the next 20 years. Yeah. And what I'd love to see, and I've suggested this in the past, well, it's kind of my own kind of weird idea. Dig a big tunnel somehow. Hold on. Wait a second. Dig Make it a temperature-controlled wine cave. And every year, all every year, every BC winery puts in five cases of all their top wines. It's donated. Yeah. And then every couple of years, do, do a BC Wine Roadshow. How do BC Wines age? Like uh, Penfold does uh, their, war their rewards of patience every yeah. five years. And they invite winemakers and wine critics and masters of wine to taste the Penfold's wines going back to the 50s. And they'll taste grains from the 60s. How do these wines evolve? And they publish these books yes. called uh, yeah. Rewards of Patience. And uh, I've got them going back. I think they're my last one's 2004. I should ask, see if I can get a couple more. Anyway, and uh, to see how the wines age. I remember Sue Hodder coming up here and we tasted the Wins Kunawara Shiraz from every, not every vintage, but a 50 year retrospective starting in 1955 all the way up. And I think the tasting was like eight or nine years ago. And the wines are incredible. They're fabulous, fabulous wines. We need to do something like that across, across Canada, across the United States, in the UK. Well, it turns into a huge event and it, it gives you credibility because when you're saying like here, mm -hmm. we're tasting these, you know, we're doing these vertical tastings over this period of the top line. Exactly, exactly. And so that, that's, what, that's what builds the foundation of, uh, of, uh, uh, of a country, of a region, of a producer. Uh, you have to look not just, you know, wines in supermarkets, uh, but internationally. But that's not for me. I'm just too busy running my own my own gig here. <laughs> and a nightclub. So. Yeah, yeah, that's another story. Well, no, no, that's a story for now. <laughs> that's another story. That's another story. Yeah. How much of that is, do you put on the wineries getting together, like you're saying, doing these junkets, doing like, like, like really pushing it? How much is on the leadership of the BC Wine Institute? I think it's all, uh, everything. It's, 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 uh, it's government recognizing the seriousness of, uh, of, you know, the value that BC Wine brings to the Okanagan. Look, I remember going to the Okanagan Hockey School in 1973. And, uh, my God, the Okanagan was, um, uh, a tiny, you had nothing, nothing. Highway 97 was, you know, two lanes. Uh, oh Lord, it was just country and rural. Take a look what's happened now. 
and you know you've got Miradoro, you've got just a restaurant in in in, in uh, Soyuz, uh, you've got uh, you know Tinhorn Creek. Look what Anthony von Mandel done, has done with Mission Hill, uh, Cedar Creek, Fitz Winery. I mean, people come to the Okanagan now, yes. right? It used to be for you know ski, you know uh, summer sports, which they still do, but now the the, the food and wine aspect. It's huge, and they never treated it. You know, historically, they never really treated it seriously, and they're they're, they're taking it seriously now. So, recognition from the government, uh, BC wineries, all collectively somehow getting together and going, okay, this is what you're never going to get 100 percent agreement. This is what we do. This is what we have to do to take it to the next level, and a really strong leader to bring them all together. And then why, I'm kind of curious, we talked, touched a little bit on biodynamic, but why organic and biodynamic here? And I mean, you even, and I think you, you hit on this a little bit, like you even said, bring French uh, and Austrian, you know, winemakers and people with experience there. Why? And I, I think that's connected. So yeah, just a different, it's again, it's a different, it's a different perspective. It's a worldview. As Seth Godin, you know, you just can't look at your navel. You've got to look outside, look. Look at the world, what they're doing. Austria, 80% of their farms are organic or biodynamic. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Why can't we, why can't we do that here? That could be our goal. So we get to 60. I don't know what the percentage is right now, but say for argument's sake, say it's 10. If we get to 60, that's pretty good. Yeah. So that could, be the, that could be our dream in the next you know, 10 or 15 years. Uh, it'll make the wines better. It'll make our environment better. Uh, it'll be, it's like chili. It's, it's, you know, they're, they're a little enclave and then you can hang your hat on it and say, come, you know, come and see our farms. And, uh, you know, I like what Chris Coletta is doing. He always posts at, 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 at Okanagan Crush Pad and Haywire. Uh, with uh, you know her ducks and the, the, her dogs and the chickens that she has, it's just cool. It's just cool. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. It takes time though. It takes a lifetime. Do you think customers are more um, conscious now of, of of where their wine is coming? From? Oh yeah, absolutely. I listen. I remember years and years and years ago, I I, I brought this one little grower in from the Mac from the Macon. Like it must be twenty five years and. It was 20 bucks a bottle now. It's like 50. And I said, it's all biodynamic. And I mean, what does it mean? So I told them. And they looked like, I think I had horns growing out of my head. Uh, and then they, they would taste it, buy it. We, we still get a lot of the wine and we sell out. And now people are asking for vegan wine and organic wine and, and, and biodynamic and, and all, all, that, all that stuff. So they're figuring out. So the, the, all those conversations I used to have in the cellar or the excuse me, at our dining room table, some tiny restaurant in France has now come to our regular tables. I remember talking to some kids and they said, like, I'm not going to buy that because it's, I think it's GMO. Right. You know, I'm going, holy crap. I mean, <laughs> that's, 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 imp that's impressive. That's impressive from a kid. So, you know, the conversation has, is, has gone from just the rural farms and the cellars and, and, and to, to, you know, people on the street. It's pretty good. We've got a, lot, a long way to go though. Still. How important has it been for your business? Like for Marquis, like how much has that changed for you here? It's not a huge, I mean, it's, it's a, an important part because for me, it's important personally, uh, but it's not necessarily, you know, the thing that makes or breaks my business. It's just, uh, it's just another cog in the flywheel. That's all. That's, but it's an important cog. For me, it's an important cog. You know, the ones, I mean, 
you know, you want you. It's just another way to help sell the wine, and and I like that. Right? Yeah. I like that. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people don't put it on the label though because there's paperwork involved and all sorts of other stuff that there uh, and and a cost involved to it in terms of the regulation. So they'll they'll farm it that way, but they won't necessarily document. This is what they tell me. If they're BSing me, then I'm inadvertently BSing you. <laughs> but, so there you go. Yeah. No, but it's all, it's just one, you know, one aspect of the business, right? Wine business is one of those things or retail. If you want to buy an $800 pair of jeans, you don't go to Mark's work warehouse. Conversely, if you want, you know, $80, $100 pair of Levi's, you don't go to Holt Renfrew because they don't have them. The wine business is one of those, the wine stores, wine retails, one of those unique shopping environments where you sell a $10 wine beside an $80 bottle of wine and all the, uh, the, the unique people and the assemblage of people come to meet in one place. You don't get that. You don't get that in, in a variety of stores, right? You know, you want to go to Joe's grill. Well, you're getting good value and good, you know, good food, but you know, you're not spending 40 bucks for an entree. You have to go to a hotel for that. Right. Yeah. But that's, it, it, does it make sense? Yeah. 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 And then like how, I mean, just something I think we want to touch on too is like selling the wine, right? right? So like, how do you, how do you think about selling the wine? Um, How do you position it? What do you, like, what do you? I don't sell, I don't sell one. I suggest, I say, here's what it tastes like. Here's the story behind it. And I'll let the customer make the decision. If I like it, I'll tell them that. But I also, I'll ask them like, what do you like to drink? Because what I like to drink doesn't necessarily what my clients. So I have to listen. I want to listen to what they're, my customers' needs are, and all my staff are trained that way. So we ask them, you know, when, how much do you want to spend? What do you like to drink? Having it with dinner? What are your preferences in food? Or are you just drinking it with friends? Okay, here's A, B, and C. And um, if they say, oh, I want to have B, C, and wants to be organic, then it narrows it down a little bit. But they go, you know, I'm going to spend 20, 25 bucks, and it has to be from, it doesn't matter where it's from, as long as it's good, then, then you know, it's, you want to you want to you give them a good bottle of wine if there and, and if there's a story behind it like it's organic or it's family or this is this high high plain fruit being a high plain drifter with Clint Eastwood high plain fruit uh, you know and it has this unique flavor then you know that's that's an, that's an attribute but you, you have to listen to the cost, customer first that's important without them you got nothing needs based selling exactly yeah yep absolutely. Wine is, you know, when you go to a store and you want to buy a pair of pants or a pair of shoes, you get to try it on. Uh, wine business, unless they, unless they have, you know, wine machines like we have or their samples, you don't get to try it. Yeah. So it's important that the salesperson and we listen to the customer on what they like or what they don't like and then steer them in the right in the appropriate direction i'd like to say we're at like 98 99 sometimes we don't get you know sometimes we don't don't get it but if and especially it's the first time i'll, I'll always for me i'll qualify you've been in the store before no i was okay this is my first time dealing with you so i like this wine if you buy it and don't like it, you got to tell me then i know which way but uh which way to go but usually we hit it pretty well pretty well each and every time. How, how do you differentiate your staff then? How do you train them and have them be an extension of? Oh, they got to like people first. Yeah. You know, wine, wine is important. They got to like dealing with people. 
everybody's got different tastes and different way of looking at things. He's just got to like dealing with people. And, and on Davy Street, trust me, we get all sorts of different people. <laughs> but that's what, yeah, but that's what keeps you real. If you're, you know, if you're stuck in some la-ti-da neighborhood uh, uh, all day, then that's, uh, that's one type of client. So we try to make our store a destination so the local community supports us supports us well mm -hmm. and uh i like it it's 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 a snapshot of what's going on it's reality man you know it's just it's not you know not stuck stuck somewhere in some fancy neighborhood wherever i you know wherever i you, what you want to name and and it's only certain types of wines so I, I like it down here it has its challenges sometimes but hey it's it's a great place how is uh, davies a really you know interesting environment yeah. right how has that shaped your business has it shaped your business? Oh yeah, because we, we cater to local local clientele, right? Yeah. And they want reasonable wine, and they're maybe not they're not wine experts, but they want to enjoy the bottle, and that's really important. So, again, I guess I said it's kept us all real and, and kept us kept us grounded for thirty five years, sixty actually, if you include with my my dad's restaurants and all that stuff. So, 60, 1958, 62 years, yeah. something like that. Yeah, down here in the West End. So I think we're doing something right, I think. <laughs> I don't know. My customers will tell me if I'm not, that's for sure. You gotta get a lot of wine on the shelves, so. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Anything else you wanna ask? Anything I wanna ask? No, I, I just, I appreciate you sharing. I mean. Yeah. I, I got one final, I got, yeah. I got one final question for you, John. What's, uh, what's next for you? What's next for Marquee Wine? Uh, uh, well, we're waiting for the, you know, there, Mark Hicken did a, a review a couple of years ago. It's called BTAP, Business Technical Advisory Panel. Yep. And um, you can find it on the internet. And one of the things is that the 12 private wine stores got severely compromised with the previous governments leveling the playing field. And so we're supposed to be getting beer and spirits uh, in the store. Whether that happens, you know, I'm not holding my breath, considering what's happened with all the uh, considering happens with COVID. And we're supposed to be selling, private stores are supposed to be selling or supposed to be allowed to sell to restaurants, which we're not allowed to do. That's reserved to the government stores. So we've been waiting for that, the latter one, for 35 years. But I'm, again, I'm not holding my breath on that. That just has, it's, happens in Alberta. They can do it in Nova Scotia. And they can do it in Manitoba, Saskatchewan. But we can't do it here. That's that's what I'd yeah. like to see. Yeah. I'd love, love love to be able to carry specialty foods in here and do a little mini Italy and carry foods from you know France, Greece, Spain, Italy. That would be really cool. That'd be really really cool. Yeah, but you know again. I'll just be quite frank. So the previous government allowed grocery stores to carry BC wine. We told the attorney general at the time, hey, that's offside. It's against international trade agreements. She said to me, no, you're wrong. And I said, actually, no, you're wrong. So I think it was late last year. Uh, well, no, it was, as soon as that happened, the uh, I know the Australians and New Zealanders and the EU people all challenged the government current NDP government and um, they were forced and so Savon can carry imported wines if they choose to do so so far they have not so we were right at the end of the day uh, so if they get to carry so they'll have food and BC wine potentially imported wines yet 
we've stagnated here for 35 years only carrying imported wine. Not saying it's bad, yeah. but let's evolve. Let's move. Let's move up. Like if you go to Vienna, there's a great chain of stores called Wine & Co. And there's a wine store on one side and a restaurant on the other. <laughs> and the world hasn't collapsed. Everything is, everything is in order. <laughs> so it almost has collapsed. <laughs> but it's and not because, Co. There we go. But it's not because of wine, the wine, a wine store being able to sell food. I don't know, John. That's the lesson I'm taking away from yeah. Okay, take it, take it. So you know, there's there's uh, uh, there's certain things, there are little little tweaks. You know, what I've learned in this business is just not one big big thing. It's a tiny little little tweaks here and there, a policy change of that. Like I'll give you an example. So in my business, we weren't allowed to deliver, we weren't allowed to advertise, we weren't allowed to have an internet site, we weren't allowed to have offsite tastings, we weren't allowed to have offsite dinners, we weren't allowed to wine sell wine offsite, and I had reasons for all. All of those not occurring, public safety yeah. being one of them. Well, guess what? We're allowed to do all that now. Uh, and again, the world hasn't collapsed. So these ideas that I propose to government uh, on a continual basis, either through social media or through emails, all get set shoved aside. And it's always two, three, four, five years before a decision is made. Yeah. So by the by the end of the 21st century, we should have it all. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe the 22nd. You should maybe. maybe the 22nd. Well, thanks a lot, John. Thanks, John. Marquee-wines.com. Thank uh, you. Anything else you want to plug as we wrap up? Uh, no, that's it. Just order online and yep. deliver. Thanks for all your support. For those of you who are listening out there that have supported us over the over the uh, decades. It's great. I used to say years, now it's decades. <laughs> Sign of getting old, so thank you. And if any suggestions to get better, let me know. Uh, John at marquee-wines.com. That's my email. Thanks Cheers. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it.